before this episode starts, I want to acknowledge that this episode was recorded prior to any knowledge of the things that happened around the world this week, specifically in Ukraine at this time. If you listened to some of the previous episodes, you would know that I come from a Russian background. Both of my parents are from the former Soviet Union. To be specific, my mom is from a city in Russia, and my dad is from a city in Ukraine. But at that time, they were all one thing, so that doesn't really matter. But what does is that many of my extended family stem from there as well. Like many others, I'm sure on edge about the things that are going on there. I want to, of course, send my prayers and condolences. Nothing ever good stems from war, and seeing this in the 21st century is just wild to me. But that's another story. Peace always wins, and I hope that this fight ends sooner than later. No life is deserved to be lost for this event in time. And yeah, let's get to this episode. One thing I'd like to say is that this episode is different than the previous ones and that this one pertains more so to a specific interest rather than a life story like Brian's and Theo's episode. So this might not pertain or be of interest to some if you don't like sports cards. But I encourage that you skip over those parts as we do talk about life and other understandings and that of being a soul and going through events as people. Michael is an actor and comedian, and even though we didn't get into much of that, his humor is felt heavily through this episode. And I say that because I hope you don't get carried away by my laughter, and instead, hopefully join me during this difficult time. On to the episode. Alright, hey, this is your host of the Soul Talk Podcast, Jeffrey Tastical. We talk about people's stories, passions, and interests in hopes of inspiring you, the listener, in our pursuit of being a soul in today's world. And this is Soul Talk. Today, I'm joined by a guest. Welcome to the pod, Michael. Hey, what's up, man? Hey, guys. Hey, whoever's watching. Uh, my name is Michael. So let's do like the regular spiel for anyone who doesn't know you. Talk a little bit about yourself. Uh, the regular. I love it. The regular spiel. This is the spiel I give to people I meet in the elevator, uh-huh. uh, just all the time. Random folks. I turn to them and I say, "Hi, I'm Michael." And they say, "Why are you talking to me? You're a stranger." Yeah, so I'm, I'm 42 years old, grew up in Maryland. I uh, lived in New York for a little bit. I've been in LA for a little bit now. Actor, stand-up comedian, a collectibles nerd which is how me and this dude met and uh baseball card enthusiast sports card enthusiast all that kind of stuff got a little wifey got a little kid little daughter she's three her name's vivian the wife is ashlyn she's an actor as well the baby she's slacking she hasn't started her career yet i don't know what's going on <laughs> outside of that dude i think that's, that's like the good that's a good nuts and bolts right for sure so yeah, so kind of where I want to start actually. So what was like the first thing we talked about? Pretty sure it was um, how to take illegal drugs over the border, <laughs> um, if I'm remembering correctly. <laughs> no, and we uh, we talked about I think it was Josh Luber and mm-hmm. fanatics because um, you're a sneakerhead, obviously, and I like sneakers. Uh, um, I don't have the. I mean, if I had the budget, I would probably love them more. But you know. When you're a dad, your sneakers don't last long. These are the sexiest these will ever look, by the way. Glad I'm wearing shorts now so I can model these for you. Um, these are the, these, these have been worn for like a week. They will get horrifyingly ugly within like another two weeks probably just from playing in the park with my three-year-old. Uh, we were talking about uh, that though, but like, yeah, and you were, you you know, you knew who Joshua Lieber was through sneakers and I knew who Joshua Lieber was through fanatics. And we both had read the manifesto and we were just like vibing on that. And like I, I call it the manifesto. I don't know what he calls it, a mission statement. I don't know, but it was like a 52-page, uh-huh. uh, you know, comes the popo. Uh-huh. Just uh-huh. the LAPD going to be really, totally not racially biased in any way, shape, or form. But um, yeah, we were talking about Josh, man, and, and that whole, like, it was just a really inspiring read, and I think really informative read, and we both dug it, and we started vibing on that. And then fucking hip-hop, we started talking about late 90s hip-hop, or just like hip-hop period, I think. Uh-huh. Uh, I started vibing on that, and then your brother was there, sports cards, yeah, man. 
when you started like kind of thing, just you know vibe on all those things yeah so do you know josh luber so you knew josh luber through fanatics you didn't know him like prior to well i don't know him at all okay. how, how yeah yeah i don't know him at all the, the only way i knew of him and i actually became aware of him very recently which mm -hmm. is because you know i'm just learning like getting back into the hobby and knowing who's who and what's what and the players and all that kind of stuff but um as far as like you know instagram or whatever social media goes i remember i think burbank sports Crudge, i think it was uh yeah i think it was on burbank's instagram you know, Rob had said, you know, you got to read Josh Luber's, you know, whatever you want to call it, mission statement, manifesto thing. It's a great read. And so I went over and I checked it out and I read it. It was like 50 pages. I was like, yeah, this is amazing, man. It was so in-depth and so just like thoroughly analyzed and correlated and just so many different examples of how to understand what he was talking about. Yeah, it was just a really well done piece. And so I, uh, I read that, dude. And uh, that's how I got to that from, but I didn't know who he was before. And then I posted on his webs or his feed or whatever, you know, people on Instagram and shit, everybody's going to be like, you know, talking trash or whatever. And I was like, I was like, Hey man, you know, blah, blah, blah. This is what I think, you know, great job, hand clappy, whatever. I just, just said a few nice things and he ended up copying that, pasting that, whatever, and then throwing it in the story. And I was like, Hey man, thanks to Eclectic Collectibles Emporium, which is my eBay store. <laughs> and, uh, he was like, hey, thanks to this dude for the nice words. And, and that's the only interaction I've had with him was that he liked that I said nice things about his his stuff. So, yeah, that's the interesting thing because I actually knew who you were because of that story repost because I follow Josh Luber on Instagram that's, as well. Did we talk about this? Did we talk about this at the show? I don't remember. I don't think so. I think we just talked about just, oh, yeah, maybe, yeah. So, you know, Josh is somebody that, like, I'm, like I really like the dude. I wish one day I could have him on this pod. He has created, you know, obviously one of the biggest things that ever happened to sneakers. And I think he could do it to cards soon. So, yes, as soon as I saw that he reposted your story, like obviously how everybody goes through that funnel on Instagram, you know, you tap on the profile. And I actually saw that there was a card show like fairly near where I was living. And I was like, I think that's actually how I found out about the oh, card shit. show. Like, it's crazy how things work. But no, so I, I really like that that happened that way. And I got to meet you. But what was like the initial reaction like when he reposted it was it just like oh dude i was blown away man yeah. i was like i was like what yeah because <laughs> yeah, because like a dude like that to repost something is just pretty big because he has yeah not like, just the thousands of followers on on instagram yeah I, at first i was like because you know i'm not a huge social media like you know whatever guy like it's not like my mission to like go viral or anything like that or whatever like amass followers but Nonetheless, I am a red-blooded human being in the 21st century of America or whatever. And, uh, yeah, man, it feels good when somebody big on social media, I guess, right? Like, you know, yeah. that you like or whatever follow, you know, shouts you out. And it's like, hey, man. And you're like, and so I, I geeked out, dude. I went over to my wife and I was like, Josh Luber just, you know, <laughs> and she's like, what? And I was like, Josh Luber is on the Instagrams in the story section. And she's like, that's real cool. I'm so happy I ended up with you. You're so special. That's funny, but that whole article I feel like like took uh, social media by storm. I saw everybody posting about it. Everybody had something to say. You haven't checked it out yet. It's on his uh, Instagram and his bio. The title of the article is actually "Trading Cards Are Cool Again." That's the name of it. But like, yeah, crazy. how did it hit you, man? Because like, I mean, I know you're coming from like the the shoe side of it and all, but it was directed, you know, obviously as the the car the cars yeah. yeah so no so like i'm always i was always like interested in cars you know i just followed josh on on instagram and so he posted that he made that thing and so i just read it but it's crazy that he reposted yours i think he only reposted yours if i'm if i remember correctly what's up, what's up? and it's, it's funny because so only me 
I say that to say because w- once I started my podcast, I actually like tagged like celebrity, so-called celebrity, I guess. Just like you tagged him in, in that story. And they actually reposted it too. I don't know if you know who it is. It's uh, Kevin Garnett. He oh, actually, yeah. he reposted like my story. Oh, like shit, yeah. dude. That's so funny. Dude, I pulled a Kevin Garnett uh, all-time greats out of Mosaic last night. I, I popped a Mosaic hanger box down some no, for a second. It's all good. Yeah, no. that's KG. Yeah. Dude, that's like, amazing, man. Like it, 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 and it happened like what so funny. Imagine like somebody reposted. So I don't know if you saw it, but it was like if you have five people that you would like take out to dinner, or, like have as dinner guests, like who would they be and why? Yeah, I remember seeing that yeah. like a minute ago. Yeah, and so I pick I pick KG because like I just feel like the dude is like so authentic. Like he's 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 so funny and like. He reposted it, and he didn't just repost it. He added like a comment to it. That's amazing. And, <laughs> but, like, and there was a cherry on top. Yeah, cherry. Yeah, literally. That's what I. So that's what I said. It was. A, it was like a cherry on top. And so the thing he said was like, I. I wrote like. So my guys were. So it's Steve Jobs, Drake. Anyway, so it was like a couple guys. So I'm like saying like. Well, you can oh. go see Drake right down the street. One of the, like, <laughs> just get into that nightclub. That's what is it called? Delilah's. I think. Delilah. Yeah, he's always over there. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, and yeah. then they told me about Drake, and then like what goes on and everything. I was like, nah, I think I'll pass on this. <laughs> like, so Drake could come in at any time. Just so you know, like we call it getting draped, and I was like, what? And they're like we call it getting draped, and they're like it's when he shows up at like 3 a.m. Like right when we're about to close down, we all want to go fucking home. You know, he shows up with like 90 people, and we stay till like 8 a.m. And I was like. Sounds horrible, That's and then crazy. they're like, "Yeah, you have to do whatever he says," and you know. <laughs> That's crazy. Sorry, bro. No. Drake is great. No, it's all good. Yeah, no, he's. It's funny because like, there's so many guys like that go to these nightclubs, and it's like we. I live right by him. I don't even know too much, but anyway. So back to what I was saying. So like five people was like Kobe and and him, and like I wrote everybody's like a mastermind, and I said KG to laugh my ass off, yeah. right? Yeah. And so he put like this the hmm emoji, like, and he's like, "Really?" And so I was like, I posted it on Twitter. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I think it's kind of big to say that KG is not like, like, I really think like he's smart. Like, I didn't meant that in no negative. He's just so funny. Like, I don't know. Did he, do you think he took it in a way that was like, you think he took it away like, oh, I'm going to laugh at him like he's a douche or something? Yeah, yeah. You yeah. think he meant like you were yeah. going to laugh at him? Yeah. Everybody said like, no, like it's positive because nobody like is going to put like KG on the goddamn five. Like you have five people in the world. I mean, I, I, since I was like a little kid, I've always been like amazed by like just his persona and like, like he's just so authentic to himself. So I really dig that. Yeah. So I, I really actually would have my five dinner guests, but. <laughs> Yeah, so it's crazy. So I again, so I say that all to say because he only posted yours, and I feel that's because like for whatever reason, like you know, you put something out there with like such good energy, like you know, everybody, everything's about like negativity in the world, right? So you put something positive, and somehow like those two things collided, and he just reposted it, and I was like, you know, thanks, bro. Yeah, it happened with KG because there's no way somebody like that reposts like just a random yeah. guys you know thanks so yeah so anyway so going back to the article what was like the biggest thing that like you took away from that article dude that story about the 52 tops the 52 tops mantles at the bottom of the new york harbor that was crazy that was just crazy i mean that was like the biggest thing that hit me because it's like a thing to take it's just a story where you're like what yeah we talked a little bit about it but yeah that was i mean that was like heartbreaking to hear and find out but What's the biggest thing I took away from that, man? It's like, I guess maybe there is a lot of smart people in the business, a mm-hmm. lot of invested minds and wallets of a high caliber that are in this business that are really forward thinking and really trying to innovate and, and really try to, I think, 
cradle this this hobby to a higher level but there's a lot of obviously conflicting feelings about how to do that mm -hmm. there's a lot of math involved 100 <laughs> percent. i think if it's anybody that can can revolutionize this this business it's him because he's done it before with something else but you know the one thing that scares me with cards is just like one of course the amount of it but just like you just touched on it right now like opening a pack like there's so many variations right right, right? right. like that's the only thing that's that scares me it's like when i was into it like you know, you search up LeBron James rookie card, there's like it, millions of listings and you... That's one of the problems with, you know, new or whatever. That's one of my feelings about when I got back into it. Mm -hmm. You know, there wasn't that much going, you know, there was like, there's like 30 different rookies now and, and variations and that, that, that's where you got in from. And I, and I really admired the way he dissected it though. And in that article, he talks about like different variations. And the biggest problem is that they're creating more variations because the product is only becoming more limited and harder to find so they have to increase the amount of cards and how do you do that you increase the variations like and the biggest thing he was talking about was that there's hundreds of different one-on-ones right so it's like it's kind yeah. of like an oxymoron it's like if there's yeah. millions of different one-on-ones it's like dude 100 percent, 100 percent. like they keep going yeah i just I, I so that's one thing that scares me but the fact that he's thinking like that and he's trying to find ways to somehow regulate it is really what caught my attention in, in that uh, article, but also like the history you touched on in a little bit. Man, who in the world thought it was a good idea to dump cardboard in, into the ocean, like for any reason? <laughs> right, right, for any, but wasn't, to correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't, was the reasoning behind it was it was too expensive to keep it in the storage unit mm -hmm. for what it was worth mm -hmm. because at that point it was so like not wanted or desired as a product that the owner of Tops or whatever was like, well shit, it's costing me more to store this stuff than it is to just burn it pretty much. So he rented a barge, right? Mm -hmm. And he took it out to the middle of the New York Harbor, was yeah, it? And then all they, through, yeah. And, and wasn't that the reasoning behind it? He was like, well, I don't I don't want to pay to store it and nobody wants it. So I'm just going to dump it in the freaking river? The, the thing, yeah, yeah. The harbor, whatever. Definitely something like that. So, but the thing that caught me was that not only did he do that, he had people drop him off like you know like obviously the, everybody was in the same circumstance nobody had the space for him and so like people were like you know like instead of just like throwing out in the trash right. oh, yeah, yeah. like you go it was almost like a buyback right yeah. program we're here it was like unused pro or unsold product right mm -hmm. isn't that what happened yeah, i think like yeah there, there was definitely some kind of motive behind it like i guess like the, the whole point was that like instead of just throwing it away and nobody knew what happened to those cards like it was like a historic event in history that he made that you know yeah. everybody somehow like you know put this fund of cards and just threw it out in the ocean and i think it's it's crazy that like i don't know how that was documented like you even, you even know how it was documented like, yeah and i don't know how he i mean but there's so much like baseball card lore and like just like stories that you know i don't know how josh Luber knows this or mm -hmm. whatever but i mean it's obviously something that happened he wouldn't put it out there in public that's one of the things that's like crazy about that story is that you know it's like one of those things in baseball where like you don't know unless you know but we're or baseball card collecting or the hobby mm -hmm. because there's so many stories like that unless you're like you know somebody who's scouring the blowout forums you know 24 7 i mean there's just so much stuff that's just like that you don't know like that's what i've realized as i've gotten back into it is like after being on the hobby for so long there's so much stuff that you just you don't realize that's like you know part of the history of it or like mm -hmm. different this or like for instance who created the 2003 what was it exquisite set the lebron I think it was exquisite like golden did a highlight on the dude that was like the creator of it mm -hmm. and I forget his name but he was like you know 
they're like, hey, this is probably one of the best, if not the best card, set, sets of cards ever created no matter, across any sport. Mm-hmm. So they highlighted that dude and everything. It was like, it was cool just to see like, who, oh, the dude that actually is the mind behind this set of mm-hmm. this card and yeah. the design of it. And and I didn't, you don't think about that when you're a young kid. You're just ripping packs 100%. and looking for hits and whatever. And then like mm-hmm. all of a sudden they go, there's a dude behind this that made that with a team of people that are artistic designers and graphic designers. And, and then there's so much that goes into it you don't know. Yeah, I think like the art is definitely one of the biggest things with cards. Like you're talking about like transparency between the artists, but like you know one of my favorite sets is Immaculate. Yeah, I just like love the design on on those cards. But speaking of cards, let's let's talk about how you got into cards in the first place. Okay, is it something that happened you know as of recently, or were you how everybody else was you know into it at one point and got back into it now with the emerging market how did it all come about i'm a cliche yeah so i was one of those guys that was uh, into it i was into it as a kid mm-hmm. but i was big into it i was like nerd like about mm-hmm. it like and i guess it's funny because like if it, it's interesting i haven't even thought about this until now like how i would react or how it would be different for me if i had gotten into card collecting like if i was born today mm-hmm. and you know as opposed to the 80 boom so it was in the 80s and i experienced the 80s card boom of the hobby and industry and all that stuff it was awesome um, and I got into it when I was like seven-ish, I guess. Like I was a nerd about it. Like I kept a composition notebook and every month with my Beckett, wow. like side by side, my Beckett next to my composition notebook. And I go through the Beckett and I look up all my cards I have and I have them and I'd write them down each month. You're talking about the price guide. Yeah. Right? So I'd, And I'd take the price guide and I'd say, okay, Frank Thomas, 1991 you know, Stadium Club went out 14 cents this month. And I go over and I literally take a black little marker. That's so dope. And I go with arrow up 14 cents. And this nerd out, man, mm-hmm. and I'd write all my cards down. And uh, next page, okay. And then baseball's done, okay. Football, Beckett comes out. Go down, football, Joe Montana, I did whatever. You know, it's funny because, like, I didn't even know there was such a thing as a Beckett Price Guide. I mean, I didn't do much research, but, like, you know, obviously, like any other kid, like, you, you know, rip a box, whatever it is, and, you know, you go to eBay and search up those cards and see if they're worth anything. So, like, it's the same the, concept, yeah. It's just I was using a paper publication. Yeah. You guys are using eBay and everything else now. That's but like that. So I didn't understand that. So through the price guide, that was like the first like analytical standpoint, right? Like you didn't have like eBay comps to no to justify it. But in that respect, that also made you more educated. Oh my god, bro. this happens like single, every single time. It's like that's they don't right. want to drink. I just would go with it and just roll into it. Yeah. And, like, no, and there good. goes the LAPD to murder another innocent black man and shoot him in the back. Oh my god, so. But it made you more educated about like the cars that were coming out. Whereas like from my standpoint, when I got into it as a kid, you know, you would just rip the box, check the eBay comps if they weren't worth anything. You put them in in this binder and store them away. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I just thought it was interesting how there was a price guy. Yeah, it was all just paper, man. Yeah. It's just like paper price guy. Like, mm-hmm. They used to actually send people around to the shows. Like they used to send like recon. People out to the shows. To, that's how they would get the measure of a card's value. It's like, hey, what's this card selling for in Atlantic City this week? Hey, what's this card selling for in Boise, Idaho this week at that card show? And then they would all report back to James Beckett or whatever, whoever was the head of that team. And then they'd form an aggregate number of like, okay, on average, this is what that card's doing this month based on our, you know, nerds that we send out to all the baseball cards. It's so dope. So speaking of which, so you got into it around, when did you say? Like seven, eight. Okay. So were there any events that like you went to yeah. actual card show? You did? Oh, yeah, dude. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, man. There was uh, up the street, there's Hillsmere Elementary School. Like, remember the name. Like that. I can't remember some certain things, but like, where did I go to card shows? I was like, Hillsmere Elementary School. That's where I went. Yeah, but I went there and it was like uh, like a mile or two, maybe three miles from my place. 
And across from that school is where I used to play like street football and lacrosse and all that growing up. So I was like, you know, very close to home. Uh, anyways, but they used to have like a little like, you know, indoor in the gym. Like it's always in the gymnasium. It's always in the basketball That's gymnasium. So funny. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's a bunch of folding tables popped up and, you know, go in there and just like do your thing. I remember that card show. I mean, because I was pretty often I went to that one. But there's other ones for sure. I mean, the card show, I mean, Ocean City, Maryland, there's a card shop in there. That's that was a memorable day because I remember I went to that card shop and I pulled my 1991, Frank, it was 92 actually, I think, yeah, 92 Bowman Gold Foil Frank Thomas. It was just a beautiful wow. card. Do you still have it? Or? Yeah, yeah, I still have it. Wow. Yeah, okay, I've so got, you did keep, you, you keep the bunch of cards from there. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. I've kept it. I, I've kept like the ones that really matter a lot to me from then usually. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I think I've held on to most of those. But uh, there's some that I've gotten rid of. But like Frank Thomas is my homie growing up. Like that was my dude. Like everybody loved Griffin. Yeah. But Frank Thomas, I don't know, man. I don't know why I gravitated towards. I mean, it was Chicago, Baltimore. I'm from like, you know, Annapolis. So Baltimore Orioles should have been in my team. Should have, I just had like some, like Cal Ripken should have been my hero or something. Right. But Frank Thomas, for whatever reason, I don't know the big hurt, man. I just I dug that dude. Did you keep up to date, like what was going on with sports cards, like throughout time, like or no, just get out of it? I was like a normal little dude, like I hit puberty, and I was like, oh, girls, and I was like, buy cards. Oh, okay. You know? Sorry, I told uh, yeah. So I forgot you said eight. So it's funny in that article he says the same thing. Like once you once the kids got into high school. Yeah, man. It's like everybody. this is like you yeah, know, partying and girls or whatever, or it's like you know, or boys, whatever, mm-hmm. whoever you are collecting, mm-hmm. and. You know, it's like, it's one of those things where I just, you know, just, yeah, you know, I just wasn't my, my priority anymore. And I was playing sports and I was trying to, I was focusing on sports and trying to be, you know, a better, you know, athlete and all that stuff and whatever. So it just was, you know, I guess it was one of those things maybe too, where it just seemed juvenile as you're growing up. You're like, oh, I don't play. It's like maybe a girl that's like getting older. It's like, I don't play with dolls anymore. You know, maybe as okay. a, as a young guy, I was like, I don't want to play with cars anymore. It's like little kid stuff. I'm, I'm getting older now. I'm about to get my license. You know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, away they went, man. And thank God I, I was not one of those tragic stories where, even though I'm a cliche in the sense that I stopped and got back into it later, there's the, another part of that cliche, which is heartbreaking, which is like that person that stopped and their cards went in their closet. And then all of a sudden they're like, yeah, man, then I went to college and my mom threw out my Pokemon cards or my, yeah, or my baseball. Yeah. Like, you know, oh, so many stories of like people with like first edition Pokemons that get thrown out and the you know, just moving, or their mom was like, he doesn't even play with these anymore. Or like, you know, Joe Montana, rookie. Name a card, dude, that has been trashed because either the kid stopped collecting and just forgot about it and it got lost, or the mom was like, he doesn't even use these anymore. And yeah. Out wow. in the yard sale it goes. Dude, it's so heartbreaking. So I'm lucky. So I had my stuff still. So I kept with, it kept travel with me from all my places in Maryland to like four different, five different apartments in New York City. I drug that wow. shit around. It came with me across the country to California. Mm-hmm. So, like, I always dragged it with me. So, it's like, I always knew. I was like, one day. I'm yeah, like, so you had, like, the suspicious, like, Yeah, man, thing I mean, I followed it enough to know what a 52 manual was worth an 89 per day Griffey. Like, so, I knew. I was past that whatever point where some people are like, oh, is it even worth anything? Are these cards even worth anything anymore? I mean, I just hear that the hobby is, like, you know, it's worthless. And... Mm-hmm. and I just always knew that it's a cycle, it's a boom-bust cycle, just like everything else, really, when you think about it. But it doesn't totally go bust. It's just, you know, it's a market. It has dips and it has valleys. Well, that one time, it really went down all the way. Oh, yeah. No, it hit hard. Yeah, And, that and was he my talks shit. about it. So, 1980. Dude, I was in the... Yeah, so my Frank Thomases, bro, mm-hmm. all those ninety, all those Beckett price guys told me. I look back and I look at it. I was like, man, I should have sold it in 92 or whatever. It was like 98. And I'm like, man, it used to be worth $40. 
And now it's like 13 cents. And, That's uh, crazy. But my 91 Stadium Club, Frank Thomas, that was my gem. That thing was like at a high point, 46 raw, I think. Mm -hmm. And then, like, you know, when I got back into the hobby later, I was like, so this should be worth about $300 by now, I suppose. And then, like, you know, I look in the, the Beckett, you know, price guide, and it's like $3.15. And I'm like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> it's just like, but, you know, they all went back up again, like you said, like with the whole pandemic, you know. Mm -hmm. It was like, and then the pandemic hit, and it was like, boom, again. And then the bust happened mm -hmm. last first quarter in February, you know. And um, and now it's starting to slowly rise again the past, like, four months. But I think it's, like, stabilizing. I think it's for sure stabilizing. It's, de it's, it's definitely been stable for a while. And to a lot of people, like, it's, it's, it's alerting them, right? Because it's, like, it's kind of like that standpoint. It's like, should I sell it now? Should I sell it later? Well, it's like, what kind of upside does it have? And so, you know, like you said, any market, there's ebbs and flows. But, you know, speaking more to... How you got back into, into sports cars, was it through the pandemic or? It was actually before the pandemic, dude. I had just like, I did like really fortuitous timing where I had just probably about 2016-ish, mm -hmm. I think. Ooh, maybe okay. a little bit before that, maybe like 2015 even. I don't know what, it was somewhere around there, but I don't know what the impetus was. But, you know, there's some catalyst that just kind of like got me back into like digging through that dirt and the cardboard and, you know, take, you know, get into the back of the closet. And, and then I, I was like, let's, I don't know. I didn't know what it was, man, honestly. And then I learned about grading. That's the first time I learned about grading. Just like a couple years ago, man. And I was like, and I was like, what the fuck is grading, man? And I was like, what? It blew my mind. And like, this is a PSA 9. There's BGS and there's this and there's the quarters and the, I'm like, dude. And like, I had just gotten an engagement ring mm -hmm. for my girl. So it's like, for me, it was, I was kind of lucky. So I understood already just kind of like the facets of grading. They come into like, you know, grading a diamond, all the different facets of that. And, and so you have to study your ass off to buy a diamond ring, by the way. Whoever's going to buy a diamond ring in the future, just if you're looking for an engagement ring, get prepared to go down the rabbit hole, man. It's just nuts. And always buy online. Don't buy retail in the store. Buy online. You're going to save so much money. That's, that, that's my two cents there. But that said, yeah, man, I just started to like study for the for card grading, like I was studying for the LSATs, like you know, for you know, just like hardcore, because I was like, I don't know, I just wanted to nerd out again. I just got hungry. That's and, so cool. And I had all, I had like thousands of cards, and I was like, so you know what? I was just like, I, I guess I was looking for a challenge, man. And I just was like, I was like, fuck it, man, let's learn about this grading shit. And then so I learned it all, and then I went through every one of my cards. Like, dude, I've been through thousands of my cards, one by one, just like magnifying glass, everything, the whole nine. And so I just got into it hard, and then um, pandemic hit, man, and and I was really lucky because like you know everybody's looking for money, how to make money, what to do, and this is kind of I think where you may be asking or leading next, but um, so I had this kind of like fortuitous kind of like thing happen concurrently where I was learning and getting into flipping mm -hmm. stuff off of Craigslist for free, and having this money that I needed because the pandemic hit, and I was like. You know, everybody's trying to find how to make money depending on your job. Our jobs were hit. So we were like, okay, well, what do I do? So I started just like digging through collectibles that I had had like a little bit of from when I was a child. But then I started going to Craigslist in the free section, man, and digging through other people's trash pretty much. It's like, you know, virtual trash, if you will, online. And I just always had a knack for, I guess, noticing, but also I always just enjoyed like collectibles period and like digging at like yard sales and flea markets and all that stuff and like going to like little just like dinky antique stores and just like I loved it and so I go online and I was just like you know I'm going through the free section I'm just like plucking stuff out that I'm like 
I think that's great. I think that's sellable. And I'm just starting to get stuff because I'm like, I'm going to start selling stuff on eBay because I was starting to think about doing it with cards. And I was like, why don't I do it with this too? And I started to kind of like meld the two together and sell online a little and then sell at uh, flea markets and stuff. But the, the really cool thing was that I was getting free dividends really from this because the only thing I'm investing in is gas. So I'd go pick up this stuff, I'd flip it for free. You know, I'd pay no money for it. I'd flip it, whatever commission eBay took or whatever, so be it. All this profit that accumulates over time from flipping all this stuff, I take and I go and I buy cards with to reinvest that capital, which is free capital that I'm just taking from just a little bit of hustle and time invested by researching and then gas to go drive and pick it up and then, you know, obviously package it up in the post office and all that. But at the end of the day, nothing is coming in my pocket that I'm giving to get this, you know, inventory. And and I take that money and I would just reinvest it into cards where that money could exponentially grow at a higher rate and really just like, you know, work for me. And, and so that's, that was like the long game with that. So some of that in the short term I was using to live off of, but then like my long game with some of that money too was to obviously have that be an investment in the card industry to, to grow further down the road. Flipping is obviously a great aspect, I feel like, and especially like if you were younger and like were kind of like immersed in like collecting something, yeah. I don't know what it is, but just like, even if the, the return on whatever years, whatever you're profiting off that specific item, just like finding it out in the wild or whatever it might be, like there's always like a, just a rush for it. And like you were talking about, it, it's like you're only spending gas until like a lot of people like, it's like, oh, like, why would you want to go drive over there to, to get to these places? I'm like, because it's fun. You know, it's like it's hard. It's hard to, but it really is hard, like for people to understand that haven't like, grew up on that process. So when I heard you like go through that Becca Price guide, I can understand like why you do the things that you do now, like with flipping things and like to do it, whereas some people might not because that's how it kind of like, you know, molds. So. That's, that's totally true. Like you, you can see the trail of breadcrumbs as you look back. I mean, hence the, the famous saying, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, because mm-hmm. you don't know until you're past that point. You look back and you can see, oh, that's how I got to here. Yeah. Oh, that's those breadcrumbs that took me, oh, when I was a kid, and now here I am at 40 fucking two, and I'm, and I'm doing this still, and I'm having fun, but it's like, oh. So all that space in between really didn't matter because it was already in my DNA from that point. That's, so, that's literally the point of this, this podcast is kind of to... Uh, understand why we like certain things and passionate about those things and like if you don't know what you're passionate about just you know obviously everybody says try things and that's really all that it is but like hearing stories can also help you understand that so it's like how could anyone ever like tell you that you know you'd be good at this if like you didn't figure it out yourself like when you were going through those Beckett Price guys and were like tracking like you know them going up by the dollar and like to a lot of people, that might not make any sense, but like, right? yes. It's madness. Like, my wife looks at me and she's like, dude, she's like, I can never do what you do. She's like, it seems so tedious and annoying, like looking at cars with the glasses or the categorization of it all. And it is tedious, but like, like you're saying, like, it's in certain people's, like, if you're, a, there's like a that saying too, if you're a collector, you're a collector. So that's, that's one thing I wanted to get into later on. But so you were just talking about the magnifying glass. And so I want to kind of circle this back to cards. So PSA, if you don't know what PSA is, it's a grading service for cards. And through that article, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm sure I knew that PSA wasn't around. I didn't know what PSA was. I didn't but, know who they were. Dude. Uh, dude, I didn't know who any of these people were. Grading, and, I, and then when I found out Becky, because I found out about PSA first. And then I found out Beckett does grading too. And I was like, what? Yeah. Beckett does grading too? And they were definitely... <laughs> I was like... <laughs> they were definitely the first ones. Beckett was the first. No, one, PSA right? was on the scene first. PSA started oh, really? grading in 91. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, okay, Be- so that I'm Becky wrong came on the that. scene later. Interesting. Okay. But Becky was on the scene first in regards to, in regards to being in the hobby. Right. Like I think the first episode episode we're in Hollywood. The first first issue. Jeez. Uh, yeah. Okay. The the first issue of Becky was eighty five, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a reprint of that. But the the first one. Is, and by the way, if whoever's listening, don't sleep on Beckett's. Don't sleep on old ass Beckett's or magazines because that's what's being graded wow. next. Wow, they really. Oh, dude, Beckett's get graded for sure. By I almost, if I had more capital to do the things that would sweep into my layer, like I'm telling y'all, keep an eye out for good condition Beckett's, especially with Jordan on the front. I was just thinking about that too. It's like, dude, like a, a nine, a nine point five or higher. They're going for like five hundred to a thousand. Oh my god! So that's really what I wanted to get into. So one was the grading aspect. It's like, do you think it's an accurate measure to kind of classify cards? Like, I don't know, if like, if if it all matters. Like when I was a kid, nobody cared for cards. Like, right? Like you open the pack, like yeah. you you know, to get it into like you know this little yeah. bendable folder, like you had to like you know. Bend it, not bend it, but like, you know, it's obviously uh, with grading, everything is condition sensitive. So it's like, like, I guess like that's a accurate way to depict it. Like, but I don't know, like, I feel like there's a better way to kind of classify cards. Like, I like that there's like a spectrum that you grade, like from point scale one to 10, but it's like, I don't know. It's like, have you ever seen like art be graded before? You know what I mean? It's just like from a collector standpoint, right? Well, so go ahead. Keep going. Yeah. So. You know, what you said, if, if you're a, if you're a collector, you're a collector. So I'm thinking like, so, okay, so sports cars have grading now. So it's like, we can have, I mean, everything could be classified by grading, right? Like, what are they going to grade next? You said magazines. What about venues? What about uh, anything? But it's just like, I don't know if it's accurate, like, accurate is the right word, but just like, I think, you, I think you're talking. I think you're coming from a not even actor. I think you're talking about it from more like morally artistic possibility. Well, I I love it. I love the grading. I just don't know if it's again. I don't know if it's the right word, but just like an accurate representation of of justifying value, right? Because I'm into business, so like anything that demands value that kind of classifies something. Like so, basically, what Josh Lober did, you know, he basically I hate to make this representation, but he basically made like a stock market for shoes, right? Because you see them on going off on eBay selling. Uh, consistently but nobody really knew like market value like there it did sell for a price but like nobody could justify what the exact price was you know what i mean there because there's different listings whereas stock x you have a picture of a shoe you can either buy it now or you can place a bid the same way you know? yeah so it was kind of a market indicator of value just kind of like the way ebay is mm-hmm. in regards to like hey here's what it's going for or, hey if you want to bid on this go for it but it's like it's a way that could you could show what it's a common, you know, touchstone for everybody to know what value is and what the current market right. is for something. Yeah, so there has to be some kind of classifying denominator. That's why I kind of brought up Stock X because now like shoes can move up and down, and you can see that. Whereas eBay is kind of hard to dissect. But like grading itself, I feel like I feel you. So here, I think I know. I know what you're getting at. So tell me if I'm missing mm-hmm. something. But like, is it necessary? Is grading a necessary thing? And mm-hmm. if so, why? And also, like, does it? I think you're almost saying, like, does it adulterate the the innocence, maybe almost of the of it all? But that's been long gone. So I'd say, I'd say this. I'd say, you know, I'd, I'd say grading is a natural maturation process of of an industry, or, or you know, or in this case, a hobby, which is an industry that is becoming a really viable, you know, economy, if you will, into of itself, where it's like there's money involved, and like when there's money involved. You know, in a capitalist, you know, society, things are going to get rolling. And if that is rolling downhill, which the card industry is definitely, you know, in downhill, I mean a good way, 
the ball's going to get bigger and people are going to be attracted to it and more, you know. So it's like all this money's coming in. So people, at one point, I think what happened was, and, and again, there's a lot of stuff I don't know about the history of the industry and all that and stuff that I'm such a rookie on and learning. And there's so much to learn that I don't know about, just like so much intricacies of this set and that and that parallel. What so much just, and stories about who owned this and that and just so much. But I would hypothesize that after the huge influx of money in the 80s card boom, right, in the industry, that's when PSA, I would feel like, came about on the scene, possibly, mm -hmm. to start grading because there was all this money, probably, and they were like, hey, that's, this is a really viable, serious industry right here. That's, mm -hmm. that's, uh, people want to take this to the next level, maybe, and you got a lot of money in here, and, and when there's that much money, people want to, okay, well, what's the difference between this and that? What's the difference right. between this, this, this Mickey right. Mantle, that Mickey Mantle? Yeah, you know, and and people want to put a number on that. And they need a third party verifier that isn't just between me and you, and you being like, yeah, this is worth this, and me being like, no, nah, I think it's worth that. When something that when there's that much money on the line, you need somebody as a middleman that both can trust. That's an independent verifier that you know is you know arms distance from it all, and be like, yo, it's this. And everybody goes, I agree to that. Yeah, cool. And that person built up their reputation, and then more people see that possibility, and they're like, oh, I want to take my raw card and put it to the test too, right. or whatever. And I think. You just have that, and it just builds out from itself there. Because I mean, it, it's just a natural. I mean, it's like it's almost putting like catnip in front of collectors. What collector isn't going to be like, yeah, I do want to put my piece to the test. How good is it? <laughs> I mean, think about it. That's what collectors want to be like. Yeah. Oh, you got a '57 Chevy? I got a '57 Chevy too. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. You got any scratches on yours? No, mine's perfect, man. I got no dents on the, the bumper. My, you know, whatever. Like, you go to car shows. That's why they're car shows. When you go to a car show, it's all gleaming and perfect because condition matters. Okay, that's a good. That's a good. I, I like that you pointed that out, right? So again, I same I, with I art too. Yeah. Art, art's the same way. No, like, there's grading for. Oh no, yeah, for sure. In regards to value, there's independent people that come in. And the person that grades says this is a Monet eight or whatever. But people look at it and say, okay, what's the condition of this piece? Wow. What's okay, yeah, no, you definitely okay. And that is and that affects the value completely. You know, I mean, yeah, it can still be a Monet, but is it Monet with a piece of rat shit on it, or <laughs> is it? You know, and I'm saying, is it a perfect Monet? So it's like that matters to collectors, everybody, you know? And it's just one more fun thing, I think, about the hobby where people can be like, yeah, 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 I got this, but it's a, you see how perfect mine is, you know? Right, like there has to be a justifying variable. And I, I like how you connected art with it, where I, I didn't really see it, was that like even art is condition sensitive, even though it's not graded. Right. But, you know, I'm not like too educated on the grading services either, but I'm like, I'm curious, was, was it like easily adopted? Like, I don't know, man, yeah. During that time, but yeah, so I guess that would be a question to, to look into, but... Uh, yeah, that would be interesting, because I mean, I'm sure there's some serious stories about like, you know, like, I'm sure there's some cool like wars between BGS and PS and all those other things, but yeah. So, I know we talked about it a little bit, but if you wouldn't mind, let's talk about like the specific things of like, you know, flipping. So you mentioned Craigslist. Like, what what are the certain things that like you're looking for when you try to you know flip something from from there? Yeah, it's it's one of those weird things where it's like I don't have a thing I can say what it is. It's just like I see something and I know it's valuable. Like it's like I just have this eye, I guess, from when I was a kid. Like I used to grade my grand. Like we're talking about old, like you know, like things that we were we were bonding earlier on. Our grandmothers both have old figurines and nice, like you know, showpiece cases for all their stuff, right? And my grandmother used to have these things called Hummels, and they're primarily made in Germany. And they're these little porcelain figurines that are just like numbered and gorgeous and all that stuff, yeah. mm -hmm. really pretty and ornate, and they just look old and valuable. And so when I was a kid, again nerding out, as a, when I go to my grandma's place in Texas, I used to take a Hummel Price Guide magazine 
and I'd go around to her Hummel cases and I'd take out her Hummels and I'd take the numbers and the model and serial numbers and I'd, I'd track her Hummel prices. Wow. <laughs> I love that, man. That's crazy. Yeah, it's just like one of those things where it's just, I mean, I, I'm just, I forgot the question, dude. Hold on, what was the question? You, you said... Well, what were the types of things that when you go on Craigslist, what are you, oh, yeah. what are you looking for? That's right, yeah. So for me, I guess I guess the, the trail of breadcrumbs again, right? I'm like, I think back to like, why do I know how to do this? Because it was kind of weird mm -hmm. to be in like my, whatever, early 40s, late 30s, whatever, the middle of a pandemic and being on Craigslist looking through like virtual junk in the, in the free section and being like, okay, let's see how I'm going to pay for uh, food this month. And, uh, you know, I hope my baby can get formula. <laughs> and just like, you know, let's hope for some good trash. And, um, and I'm like, how am I able to figure this shit out? And I started to think about it. And I was like, oh, it's because I think just back in the day, there's always been in collectibles and just like knowing what cute, kitschy stuff is and being in enough homes, I think, where I knew where like somebody was like, oh, don't touch that mantelpiece. And I'm like, why not? And they're like, those are the nice things up there. Wow. And you look at like porcelain plates mm -hmm. or whatever the mantelpiece. And so you, just, you get an idea of like what is valuable over time, I guess. And I just would go in the Craigslist free section. I would just spot stuff and I'd be like, that's valuable or that's sellable. And it's like, when you're looking at a typewriter from 1915 and you have to be a dummy if you don't look at that and go, there's got to be some value to that. And sure enough, you know, I sold that for like 190 yesterday. Here's a great example. I got these speakers. They're called Snell speakers, S-N-E-L-L, uh, -L, like the bad family on Ozark. If you all watch Ozark, the <laughs> Snell family. So anyways, dope ass speakers, got them on off Craigslist. I've had them for like a year and a half. They're like really fine, well-made speakers, like micro kind of niche boutique-y speaker maker people, but they go for like $800 a pair, right? I sold these, you know, used because I was like, I got them used, whatever. Cut a deal. I sold them for 300 bucks yesterday. And it's Crazy. just like, so, but I've had them in storage for a year and a half, but then I've also had stuff I've flipped like the next day. For instance, which is, brings me back to what you were saying earlier. I wanted to say something. I forget what brought this up in my mind. But you're, I think you were talking about something about somebody that wants it or something that, I forget what it was, but it made me think of this story when I was on the free section one night. It was like mm -hmm. 1030 at night. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, looking through there and I see this big old, big ass, like probably like five by four old metal sign about like an advertising sign for fertilizer from the 40s. And like mm -hmm. there were all those cool metal signs you'd see up on the wall and like uh, the in Fridays or something or one of those restaurants that does old like Route 66 signs everywhere and whatever. So I go and it's like, yo, it's on the side of the street, you know, come pick it up. It's 1030 at night. And I'm like, I'd much rather be watching TV, you know, chilling out, doing something. And I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to take a stab at this. I'm going to go for it. Mm -hmm. And so I drive over there and it's like 40 minutes away. And I'm just like, just do it. And I was like kind of bawling a little bit. And then I'm like, I get there and I pull up and sure, it's still there. And I picked that sucker up. I put it in my, my car and I flipped it two days later for 190 Like a... Like just like not a big even take a while like it's just a it, just a like I, I put it up on eBay and I was like yo and, and people want that because it's like it's an old cool collector piece of like old anything advertising is always collectible and especially obviously old stuff so you know and there's just yeah I don't know I could talk about this forever but like I go online and I see stuff and I just you just kind of know what's valuable based on just if it's old go for it you know take us if it's not too far you know take a guess you know go for it but there's also stuff that's like obviously not old that's collectible like art art is it can be new it can be old it can be whatever but like always go for art art frames frames are really expensive always go for frames people are always giving away frames i'm sorry i'm turning this into how to flip guy no that, that's what actually where i was going next is like you had some great stories there but like 
if you had any advice to give to anyone who wants to, to flipping things, whether it be off Craigslist or sports cards, yeah, uh, what would you tell them, or what would be like one? I'd say I'd say like two. It's two separate separate camps. I'd say I'd start with the Craigslist the free stuff, and I go to the cards. Uh, the Craigslist free stuff. I'd say like if you want to get into that, the first thing you need to know is that you're gonna have to. De- if you really want to do well at it, you're gonna have to devote at least time to look at it. I'd say six times a day at minimum. And it's going to take you about five to ten minutes, maybe each time to look at it. So mm-hmm. you got to think: Can I set aside, like you know, roughly an hour a day, possibly over the span of six different points, to, to look at this and scroll through it? Because the only way you're going to get your stuff is if you look at it constantly. Uh, and because there's other people doing the same thing. There's, I mean, there's competition out there. Trust me. Like it's right, funny because sure. like you see stuff go away like like within the first thirteen minutes, man. Because there's people doing the same thing you're doing, just for different reasons. Right. You know, like my reasoning is. You know, to put some food on the table, pay some bills, but also have some money for like cards and to reinvest in that and buy stuff for the future. So, but who knows? Your your reasoning, whoever's doing it out there on the other end of the internet, could be like I'm trying to get a down payment for a house or a new car or whatever. So I'd say that's the first thing. Know that. I'd say is like just take chances. Like don't second guess yourself. If you scroll past something that you think, like, oh yeah, that's that's sellable or that's a collectible or that piques my interest, contact that person. Worst that happens is you get a free piece of junk that you're not going to use, that you never right. bought anything for, and you just invested a little time to go pick it up. But more than likely, you're going to find out there's a lot of stuff that people just will buy. Like the thing I was blown away by, oh my God, this is a huge tip. Get, so I shouldn't do that because you won't be hearing what I'm saying. I'm like, get the button. And they're like, what did he say? What was it? What was the most important thing? He just said the secret to life, but he was clapping while he said, no, no, jewelry, man. I'm, I'm astounded by how much jewelry sells so easily at mm-hmm. markets. Like when I do flea markets or yard sales, man, dude, girls be liking the fake jewelry. Like it mm. is, for me, I'm like, dude, I'm like, I look at it and I'm like, why Why would you want that? Mm-hmm. But they're like, it's pretty or it's like this or it's that. I'm like, I don't know. I guess I look at it at the standpoint of like if I ever brought that home to my lady, I'd be like, hey, I bought you some fake pearls. There you go. <laughs> You know, it's funny, like, because, like, most people probably don't know what's real, what's fake, right? So I mean, people do. I mean, you'd be surprised. Yeah. Some people do. The last the last yard sale I had, I had some serious yard sale pickers come up, and they, they whipped out their jeweler's loops, man. Oh. And they were, like, in it. Like, this is fake. Dude, they were in it. I mean, well, because I'm not advertising. Yeah, okay, like, so okay. Somebody asks me, I'm like, yo, yeah, that's, that's no, well plated, no, or this is whatever, mm-hmm. you know? But because um, I've already looked at it all myself, I already, right. so I already know. I've already picked through all the jewelry, and I've set aside the stuff that I know is real for myself or for my wife, you know. Mm-hmm. And then the stuff I put out there, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying like, hey, you know, this is what I'm. This is what I want to sell. The other stuff I chose to keep. So when somebody asks me, what is that? I'm like, yeah, it's it's costume jewelry or that's you know gold plated or that's whatever. So they know. And if I don't know, I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. So are there were a couple pieces where they're like, hey, what's this? And I was like, I don't know. And they're like, boom, they whipped out their jewelers loops. And they started to get in there, and I was like, just wow. a, you know, pieces that I hadn't had the time to even investigate yet, and I just put them out because I guessed. I was like, I think they're probably not real, but I said, you know, I was like, hey, I was like, I don't think they're real, but I haven't checked them, and they're in there investigating them, and so it's like, yeah, they pick through it hard, man, and, and I dig that. I I love it. I love to watch people dig and pick and like get something they like. I mean, you know, it's cool, man. It's cool to pass that on to from like somebody, like, because there there's there's satisfaction. I'm kind of bumping around, I know, um, but. There's satisfaction in that picking. First of all, when you get the product and you get the thing that you're like, oh my God, I got it. First of all, I beat out the 90 other vultures on the Craigslist free section. And then secondly, it's like you get to, you know, take that piece home and you get to be like proud of yourself. Like, yeah, I got that. That's awesome. And third, when you sell it, you're like, oh my God, I made some money off of it. But also it's cool to see a, to see a new home where like people like it. I think just the appreciation factor, like 
I don't, I don't know what it is just about flipping, but it's like so like the whole process. If you're a flipper, like you, you, I am sure anyone can relate. Like just, I feel like every step process is enjoyable to yeah. me. And if you're not in love with like either like whether it's finding the product or selling the product, then it's probably a sign that it's probably not for you. Because for me, like, you know, just selling shoes or whatever it is, like, hundred percent yeah, same way i feel the same way dude <laughs> there you go so yeah man and, and it's a hundred percent like there's joy in every part of the process for me and i feel like such a dork saying that man mm-hmm. like because I'm, I'm i'm i care less man it's, i dude, feel like that's I'm, just what you like yeah no no and i feel like i don't feel like dork as in like you know i don't i'm worried about being judged but just in a sense where it's just funny to realize that about yourself where you're right. like like yo i'm that dude like i love digging through stuff and right. like looking on craigslist and then flipping this and doing that and right. putting it on a yard sale table and then watching somebody come by and pick it up and then you know, and I'm like, I don't know, there's something really satisfying about doing a, I mean, you understand this as an entrepreneur, dude. It's like, there's something really satisfying about doing something from A to Z all yourself and having control over the entire process 100%. and having a vision and a plan and executing that plan and, and seeing it come to fruition and then holding that dollar bill or whatever in the end of your day. And then, you know, whatever, taking that dollar bill to buy that, you know, lollipop, whatever it may be, dude. And you're like, I did that all on my own, start to finish. It's something about that. It's different than punching in and punching out. 100%. That's why I really like business. I feel like it's like if you get paid to do something that you can think in your mind and then, you know, you have spidey senses telling you that this might work and you see the use for it in somebody else's life and like relating to how you said like, you know, getting a a piece, somebody buys something from you and you can see that, you know, how they'll use it. and Yeah. so I feel I feel the same way. Like if you can, yeah. There was like this this piece of jewelry when I was thinking about when I told you that was the story. Of this lady that bought this it was my favorite piece of the the costume jewelry that I put out, and I could just see the smile on her face. And when I gave her a deal, and she was like, "Really?" <laughs> and she was like so happy. She's like, "Really, fifty? And I was like, "It was a collection of stuff." And then and I gave it to her for fifty bucks, and I was like, "Yeah, for sure." And then. And then, you know, I was like, I got it for free, whatever. No, I was like, I was like, no, for sure. And then she's like, oh, thank you. And then she's so happy. And this made me really happy. And they cut to like a week or two later, I was at this other, I was at a flea market. Mm-hmm. And I find out that one, of the, and she, this woman, she got one of the favorite, favorite pieces that I had. Mm-hmm. And I see this woman that I, uh, has another little stall next to me. And she's got jewelry, tons of jewelry, all costume jewelry stuff. Some of it's like really nice though, real stuff and other cool antique Victorian era stuff. And I was like, what's that thing? And she's like, oh, that's a Victorian era, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, I sold one of those a couple weeks ago for like 15 bucks. How much is that worth? And she's like, this one goes for about 250 And I was like, learning. Wow. <laughs> and so it's like, and that's, my, that's not my forte. I don't know jewelry. I don't know antique Victorian jewelry. I knew it was valuable and cool looking, mm-hmm. but I didn't look it up enough and didn't have enough time to like investigate. And that's another thing is like researching. Like you got to research your stuff. Like I have stuff I pick up and I had to get a storage unit because I started to have so much stuff and like it was like a hoarderville in one of my rooms and my, my missus was like, yeah, we got to get this stuff out of here. Mm-hmm. So we got a storage unit. But I had just such a backlog of inventory because I didn't stop. I wasn't like, oh, I'm only going to take so much that I can handle from Craigslist. I was like, I'm going to take as much as I can get right now and I am going to figure out a way to store it. And I, even though I didn't have a place to sell it yet because I just started an eBay page and I wasn't able to do flea markets all the time. So I had accrued a lot of inventory without a way to sell it consistently. Efficiency. Yeah, yeah. So I would so I just got like a backlog of the stuff and I just got, you know, backed up. But mm-hmm. what happens in that in that time, which you can do in between, you know, selling or whatever, is you just gotta research. So like just grab the stuff as you get it. You don't know what it is. If you know it's good, grab it. 
and then research it later so you know how to sell it because you got to research it. So for instance, that's that's what I'm circling back to this jewelry story was like I didn't take the time to research that because I was like I just I was like I think it's fine, blah blah blah. It's not the top of my list right now. Mm-hmm. I'm focused on other things that I'm researching like soda bottles from the 1930s, which I'll get to in a second. And so anyways, I just let that slip through the cracks kind of because I was like, yeah, I think it's fine. I looked at all the other stuff that I know, like the pearls or the gold or the silver, and I looked for all those signs. But I wasn't looking at silver or I wasn't looking at diamonds. Or This piece was a Victorian era piece that was just like made out of carved ivory. It looked like with amber and this and that, which ding, 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 she set your head off, you know, an alarm that, yeah, that's some old looking stuff. It's probably valuable. And I looked at it and thought that, but I thought it was something more contemporary, maybe a remake, but which there are remakes of that thing. She mm-hmm. says those go for about 50 bucks. So either way, I lost money. Whether it was a remake or the original, I still sold it for 15. The point being is just research your stuff before you put it out there. Don't rush to put it out there if you don't have to. For instance, like just you, it takes time to research stuff when you don't know what anything is. That's part of the excitement of it too, which I think you'll probably feel the same way, which is like that it's a different form of digging. You're not digging at a market or you're not digging online for some, some goods. You're actually digging for research. So it's like you got the goods, but now it's like, how do I figure out, how do I date a soda bottle from the 1930s? Oh, it's a 7-Up bottle? Okay, where on the throat or the neck or the base is the numbers that I find out what factory it's from, what year it's from, what location it's from. Because when you sell this to somebody, you could just ballpark it, I guess, for sure. And they may not care, you may not care, but you're going to have some serious collectors that come through that do want to know, yo, what, what, what year is that? You know, what, what manufacturing plant is that from? Mm-hmm. And that's important to, to make sure you have that. Because I find that as a customer, I want that information. Like, I want to know that. So when I am interested at a market... I'm like, it's fun. It's like, hey, this is a 1937 soda bottle from Des Moines and the factory there. You can tell by this and that. That's where it's from. You know, and just start going off about stuff and then really, you know, kind of blow somebody's mind about like what they may or may not have known already about this soda bottle. The soda bottles, I mean, I have so much research to do because I don't know nothing about it. Neither did I, dude. I admire it. But so the one thing that I I like that you said was the research, right? Right. Like that's that's the building ground. But I feel like we talked about it a little bit off camera. It's like connections, right? It's like in order for you to like understand a market fully, like you're going to have to like know somebody or that knows more than you do. Like you, you can find everything you can on the internet, but it's just like, you know, to gain efficiency, it's like you find people that, you know, need certain things. And so I, you know, I don't know if you remember, but we talked about like, like you were flipping, like, either it was like, furniture or like it was like this material and like you found this guy and um, oh yeah. oh it was um rattan rattan yeah yeah so it's just like you know there's people That's, that collect that or, or just know more about it so it's like that gives you a more efficient way to to sell your your inventory whether it be you know directly to that guy or maybe that guy can refer you to somebody exactly. else it's just like everything you know stems from somewhere so it's like Going out there, I feel like is the is the biggest thing. I mean, everybody says in business, like you really have to like go out there and and see what what is there, right? Because like just like talking with somebody, you learn that you know you undersold something, and now like you can you know maybe sell exactly. it to her for a margin, you know that you couldn't have found elsewhere. And so it's really this like idea that you know everything happens for a reason. Like yeah, you did sell that thing for fifteen, but now you found a woman that told you that that it's not worth fifteen; it's worth two fifty. So next time you get exactly. it, you won't sell it for fifteen. So it's like everything happens for a reason, and you learn, you find people. So that's what I really liked about you is that like you're you're always trying to like find the better solution, and I feel like that's what business is all about. And this is a, a business podcast. Consider 
a business podcast. So. Yeah, oh, is this considered a business yeah, podcast? This, this is considered a business oh, podcast. Because I want to have guys like Josh Luber that are in business, bigger Dude. heads that understand that I want to be myself in a business background. So just understanding those processes, creative processes, that's what I'm really into. So like hearing, you know, collecting things and all of that, I feel like it's it's all comes with understanding and experience. So For sure. The aspect of it that, you know, that... To the second part of your question, you were like, you know, the aspect of, you know, advice I would give to people that are in baseball cards or sports cards, because Craigslist, I could talk a little bit more, I guess, when I go to that. But I would say the research, yeah. Like, just dig through, man. No, it could take, I have like five tabs open on my computer for the past like three weeks from mm-hmm. researching bottles right now on bubble glass, because I have bubble glass. And you have to understand the seam work and where the seam stops on the throat or the neck, or if it doesn't have a, a mold if it was made in a mold or if it has a second dude there's so much Mm -hmm. does it have a lip that's attached afterwards or was the lip formed it's insane it's all all, everything you're saying right now is like so foreign to me but it it sounds really interesting dude it's so deep you have to dig so I have so I have these five so this is a part where I didn't screw up here's Mm -hmm. a good example so Mm -hmm. like at the market I could have brought these out but I didn't Mm -hmm. Um, I have these old bubble glass bottles like an old decanters they're probably from like the late 1800s maybe Mm -hmm. a little bit earlier it's so hard to date them because there's so much evidence uh, that you have to sift through to, to date a bottle sometimes sometimes it's really easy sometimes it's not so me being a novice and not, you know, knowing everything at all, it takes a lot of time to, you know, to verify things for sure. Because I don't want to go out there with like, you know, half cooked information and like hope that I'm right. I just didn't bring these bottles out. I didn't sell them at market. I kept them in there because like they could be worth a couple hundred. They could be worth like 50. Or they could be worth like 20. Right. I just didn't know. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with a couple soda bottles that I didn't bring out. Like I have these soda bottles. One's from uh, Iran and the other one is from um Casablanca, mm-hmm. and they're they, a couple of them sold online for like between three and five hundred bucks, mm-hmm. and I'm just not sure if mine is of that caliber yet. So I was like, rather than putting this out there for maybe what it's worth, maybe not, let me hold back, you know? Because uh, uh, like just flipping things has gotten like really popular, and I feel like it's it's only gotten popular because such a need for passive income. Yeah, especially necessity. especially now. As they say, necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah, so I would say, yeah, be prepared for storage space. Uh, need that. Uh, that's another thing if you're doing the Craigslist stuff. Be prepared to need storage space and and get a, get a storage unit. Just straight up and get, just go get one. I wouldn't even mess around with your apartment or your house or whatever. Just like straight up, just go get a, a storage unit. It's worth so much money as an investment because we had stuff even before I started doing this Craigslist free stuff. We had stuff in our homes, period, that we were like, yo, why don't we get a storage unit earlier just as living human beings? Crap left around that we just don't need in here. Needed a storage unit at one point, like an extra one or whatever. But, you know, it's becoming more common that everybody has. I, I mean, it's always been. Because you know, we're all going to be living in them soon when, you know, the rent is, you know, higher than it is now. Yeah, like, it's, it's hey, man, I'll meet you at the storage unit. Cool. Bring a six-pack. Awesome. I got burritos. They're from 7-Eleven. They're delicious. Burritos from 7-Eleven? We're eating out of a trash can. Isn't that the same thing as a burrito from 7-Eleven? Oh my god, those, those burritos are the nasty. That's the apocalyptic future I see for Los Angeles as the future is the no, I can't, I can't keep going, but anyway, so I was looking for like another storage unit here, right? And they've gotten really expensive because people here are, like have been like buying up storage units. Yeah. I don't know how much. I got a real good deal. They're like in the hundreds of dollars dude, here. I got real lucky, man. I got, because it's such a good deal that when I signed up, the dude was like, you got it for 80? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Because I researched again, man. I was just researching my ass off online, trying mm-hmm. to find like a good spot and, you know, something I could afford that was in my budget. And 
I just got lucky, and there's this place just around the corner. People are like, uh, what's the number I'll, again? I'll cut it. I'll cut yeah, it like, out. I'll cut yeah. it out. So I got my stuff at this place, and it was like, a, I think it's a nine by eight unit, which doesn't sound like much, but like it is. And I got it for eighty bucks, and it's locked in like a like a loan, baby, mm-hmm. for eighty bucks a month, and it's it's really really worth it, man. Just You're not it. running out of space yet. No, man. <laughs> I just the speaker is getting sold yesterday. Freed up a lot of space, dude. It's oh, like another a blessing, thing. blessing in disguise. Yeah, for sure. This is another really good thing, man. Your overhead is so important when you're running this this business, man. And this is a huge, huge thing. Maybe the most important thing you can do for your overhead is keep boxes. Keep boxes, man. It's because your storage unit, like a third of my storage unit is empty boxes that I just that I just keep and I collect because I know I'm going to need them for shipping because your shipping costs are going to be nuts because this is the thing if you're going to really be doing this flipping you can do it locally of course at a yard sale or a flea market or whatever consistently do it that way that's great but if you really want to expand the ability to sell you're going to have to utilize online and online is going to be more than likely uh, using shipping you have local meetups that you can rely on consistently so with shipping obviously you need packages and packages cost money mm-hmm. so to, to not have to pay again cut down your overhead so if with me I really have a great sell up because first of all I'm getting 100% free inventory from Craigslist free section right then I haven't paid for a box once I started to really wise up and start to keep and collect boxes I haven't paid for a box for probably anything in over a year like maybe a year and a half so I just keep everything so for instance how I ship these big ass speakers they weighed 63 pounds that's how big the magnets are in these speakers Snell y'all Snell and they make good speakers so anyways I had a, a portable air conditioning unit uh, thing you're gonna crack up dude so this is this is this is about being resourceful dude you want to talk about not paying for shit here we go so this this costs this is 60 bucks in free shipping I just got for free here we go so for limited uh, so I'm sorry a little uh, portable air conditioning unit right the box that it came in really nice heavy sturdy well-made box really great styrofoam cardboard all that and I was like I don't know what this is gonna be for in the future I was like but I I'm gonna use it for something so I kept it put in the storage unit Sure enough, I get these speakers, right? And I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to ship these things, but I'm going to ship them. And I started thinking. I was like, I wonder if they'll fit in that air conditioning unit thing. And I was like, okay, they fit in the air conditioning unit, but that's loose. They fit in there loose. I need to second box them and then surround them with you know, with bubble wrap mm-hmm. to insulate them better for you know, shipping. Guess what fits perfectly into a Huggies pair of diapers that my daughter uses? <laughs> Snell speakers. So Snell speakers, each of them get their own Huggy diaper box. And then they get wrapped in bubble wrap. Then they each get put into the limited or the the, um, the the portable air conditioning box, and they get bubble wrap in between the layers. And then I tape that sucker up. So free, it's, man, free. Yeah, if bucks. people are looking for free boxes. Like for me, I use USPS free boxes. They, yeah. You can. I don't know if you know that. But yeah. You can order them. They'll, they'll give you free stuff. Yeah. So and, and sometimes though you're just not going to be able to do priority mail or flat rate or whatever it is. Right, and, for, for and if you speaker. need like you know if you need a different size box, that's why whoever ships me anything throughout the year, I keep all the boxes. I keep all the bubble wrap. I keep all of it, all of it, dude. I keep all the bubble wrap. Everything. You're not gonna. You would not believe how much money you waste on packaging. Like this dude on Craigslist, a free section again. That's another thing. I picked up like this was like two months ago. This dude moved in. People are always giving away free boxes and free bubble wrap. By the way, on Craigslist free section too. This dude gave away so much free bubble wrap that I'm like set for the ne- like set for the next like probably six months, and I use like a little bit of it. It's fun. It's funny you say that. I, I do the same. I keep all all the boxes right? and, and bubble. But I mean, I don't really like have like I'm shipping out usually like shoe boxes, whatever it is. But you know, 
I, I keep the bubble wrap because you know if I get it sent to me it's like cool like if I sell something that I really need to wrap up because it's like you know that yeah. worth the value like I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna include the bubble wrap but, and that's yeah. the thing with my shit it's all weird because I never know what my inventory is gonna be it's not like I know uh, I sell sneakers mm-hmm. or I know I sell a set right. size product mine's like I don't know what I'm picking up this week it could be you know a Mickey Mouse you know cutout board that's six feet tall right. like in which as I've, I've seen and I missed that I tried to get that and I missed that but you never know, man. You just never know what you're going to need a box for. So right. Just keep it all. I, I get it. So, yeah. Sports cards advice, and mm-hmm. then and then we'll get to quotes, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, sports cards advice, I would say, don't throw away your stuff when you're a kid. Don't let your mom throw away your stuff when you're a kid. Yeah, man. I mean, if you want to geek out, I would say geek out, wear rubber gloves when you're opening up packs and you're sleeving your stuff, because I know it sounds silly, but... You know, geek out, man. Protect your investment because cards are not worth what they used to be. It's like you can open up a pack and have like a down payment on a house. So if you just ate like a sub sandwich or you got a hangnail that you don't know, you didn't trim your nails or whatever, and you nick that, that's a nine, bro. That's Or whatever it is, you know, whatever that is that you're, you're going to get taken down a grade from whoever is grading your cards, you know, because of that, that defect. So it's like wear gloves, nerd out. I had this one dude tell me one time, he's like, it's so silly. People wear gloves. And some alpha male dude that's just, you know, being a douche. He's like... Man, people wear gloves. He's like little sissies. You don't worry about it. You know, I'm like, okay, okay, bro. And he's like, yeah. He's like, think about it. You don't have any pores on your hands. There's nothing to come out of them. There's no oils. And I was like, did you really? In my head, I said this. I didn't say this to him. I just, mm-hmm. I just nodded. But I was like, did you really just say that? You don't have oil that come out of your. What do you think a fingerprint is, buddy? You know, it's funny. You like, say who you ever that. heard of? You ever heard a dude named Sherlock Holmes? He did this little thing called pioneering fingerprinting based on the oils that come out of your fucking hands, man, your fingers. You know, it's funny. Like, that's the one thing I hate about cards. Like, I, I'm one, I'm impatient, and two, it's like I don't know if like if if I can like you know not like drop them or something right. like that. Like, I'm the worst with it. So, like, my my brother, he's he does he does it all, and he's fine with it. So, I mean, it takes out some of the romanticism of for sure. It makes it like you know to be like, let me put on my rubber gloves while I open up my sports cards. You know, it's. Yeah. I just don't trust myself enough with it. I feel like you feel like you drop one or ding one. I mean, not drop. I mean, like even with grading, like I don't know what it is with me, but I'm just never like confident with myself with things like that. Like I don't know if I can't see something or that they're gonna see something when they're grading it. Yeah. I feel like it's one we all know, like grading is subjective, but like there's something I won't see, and like so it's funny because my brother he he's confident about it and good that he is because I'm. That's great. I could, I could not. So. You want to get to the quote breakdown? So, you know who Gary Vee is? Never heard of him. No? No, I'm messing with you. Uh, Of course. (laughs) Of course. Okay, so, basically, I don't, for this segment, I actually don't know the exact quote. I heard him say it. I couldn't find it when I was trying to find it again. But he he said something like, I don't know if you know, he has a segment on YouTube called Trash Talk. Uh, yeah. So, he basically goes around to, like, yard sales and like shows people that he can flip stuff on ebay like buy, you know buys them for a dollar 50 cents whatever yeah, it is yeah, and yeah. flip them on ebay i've seen him do yeah you know i have i didn't know that's what the uh the segment was called but i've seen him do that with a couple of things where he's going around with stuff he's exactly right the one i saw him talk about stuffed animals mm-hmm. where he's like yeah you can buy a stuffed animal for like a buck 50 mm-hmm. cents two dollars and then flip it for like 10 it's like 100 percent true mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, so, so basically he was just talking about flipping things and he just got it to a garage sale and he found something for like $2, flipped it for 10 15 something like that. And it was like, he said it was more fun or more entertaining than him uh, having like a, a million dollar signing or sale, whatever it was in his company uh, that same week. I like, can understand that. So yeah, so I want to hand it over to you and see what 
you thought about that quote. What do you What do you think about that? Yeah, that's funny, man. I think yeah, I think it can be kind of a neutered experience, probably just signing a check or you know having somebody fax over a document that you approve and put your stamp on it. You know, in regards, no matter how big the check is, you know, how how big the transaction is, right? How much money you're talking about, it can be a neutered kind of passionless experience. But like we were talking about earlier, it's like that start to finish experience with flipping and digging where it's like there's joy in every process of it and you're hands on, you're in the mix. Like you're there like up front, like, yo, I found this product, I'm digging through this vinyl, I'm digging through this bag of whatever this crap is. Oh, there's a gem. I have my hands on the gem. Hey, sir, can I buy this gem from you for X amount? Yeah, you can buy that. Cool. Awesome. I love this gem. You don't know it's a gem or maybe you do and you don't care. I don't know. I'm going to take this gem over here and sell it now for five times as much. You know, and it's like, and you're doing, and, and there's rushes to all that. There's a rush to like, to the, there's a rush to like driving up and be like, okay, how many people are in the, in this yard cellar? Are, are there 20 people digging already? Or are there like two? Cool. There's only two, two. I got a chance. And then you're like digging. You're like, okay, what's over here? Oh, there's this box like over gold here. rush. Yeah, dude. Stuff. Yeah. And I get see it. that box over there. Oh, that looks like weird. Like that's happened to me so many times. We're like, I look like, where is somebody not paying attention? If it's busy. Cool. That's my homie. What's up? How you doing? And go to that Rubbermaid box, open it up. Oh, Hi, old cigar box inside the Rubbermaid box nobody was looking at. What's not inside our old cigar box? Oh, hi, old collection of lighters. Literally what happened. And then I just sold these, like, uh, last week at the flea market, I sold, like, four of them. They were selling, like, hotcakes for, like, 100 bucks. I sold four lighters that I that I got where I was, like, I don't know, I, say I, start, I start rambling, man, but I'm, like, it's so good. I'm talking about the same thing, like, where it's, like, that passion behind, like, yeah. you know. It's, I feel like it's just, it's just hard to replicate in anything else. Yeah, you can't, you can't, ha- it's, that, it's that passion where it's, like, I can see what he's talking about, where it's, like, there's so many little moments of mini adrenaline rushes and hits in that process of digging, picking, purchasing and then reselling mm-hmm. rather than like oh yo hey uh here's this document can you sign on the x right the fuck out of here man it's like yeah <laughs> oh, i mean i'm sure he's i mean the money's good yeah. don't get me wrong yeah. i'll take the mill I'll, I'll learn to get my, my kick somewhere else if i have to but when you're somebody like gary b and you have the option of yeah making a mill on this one and just going out for fun doing that you both you can you can get the best of both worlds you can buy a dollar thing at a flea market and the million dollar contract but uh I understand what he's saying. Yeah, I mean, me too. I, I agree. Like, I mean, I haven't had a million dollar sale. <laughs> right. But, too. like, I, it's, it's crazy. Like, you'll get, like, you talked about adrenaline. Like, you'll get the adrenaline when you find the item and then when it sells. Yeah. And like you said, the process is just a, it's just a great experience if you're a flipper. And I know to a lot of people it sounds crazy. Like, you know, flip from te- two to team, but it, it sounds better than, you know, flip at a million dollar sale. It's something as a flipper that you, you if you're not a flipper you just can't understand so we're we're it's a little strange breed yeah but yeah to that like what if you had to pick there's always like a common question and i guess the reselling community what's better either to find the item or to sell the item oh man <laughs> that's tough dude to yeah, find the uh, item or sell the, oh shit oh dude i don't know about that that's like sophie's choice i mean i personally probably would say finding it because it's like it starts the process yeah I don't know, but I mean, it could, it could go both ways. But yeah, I don't know. Finding or selling what is better, man. I mean, I'm gonna cheat on this one because mm-hmm. I feel like selling by proxy is inclusive of the finding moment a little bit. Right, right. Okay. To sell, you had to find in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna say like I can still have some of that residual flavor and enjoyment of the finding and the selling. Mm-hmm. You know, because okay. at the end of the day, Fair you know. Enough. I mean, as much as it's nice to collect, and one of the things that I heard from a, an old-time collector, he actually had, he used to have a, a store on in, in Burbank that I've been into a couple of times, and I picked up some stuff from him. But anyways, he had a huge lunchbox collection, and we were like in the beginning of the pandemic talking in his store. And I was like, so 
how's business? And he's like, you know, it's slowing down, this and that. He's like, I was like, what are you going to do, you know, if it gets worse? And he's like, well, I'm just going to put all this stuff in storage and call it a day and figure out what to do. He's like, because you can't eat these things. They don't, you can't eat them for food. And he's like talking about these lunch boxes. And, and so it's like, yeah, so at the end of the day, it's like as much fun as it is to collect and, 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 and to, to define and all that. At the end of the day, I'm just going to be paying somebody a storage unit bill if I don't flip it or if I don't have a place to showcase it in my own home. So eventually, yeah, it'd be nice to flip away, uh, flip enough stuff or have enough stuff go nice in life to have a nice home and a nice display area for the few special pieces that are part of like my, my, my special collection that I want to keep just for myself. But outside of that, yeah, you got to eventually sell it, right? I mm-hmm. mean, that's part of the things in cards too everybody talks about in cards where like, it was mine for a little while, you know, whatever it is, the Kobe rookie or whatever. It was like, you know, I got to hold it for a couple of years and it was never mine to keep forever. And it had to be, it goes to a new home now. So, and, so to that, I was going to ask, like, do you have a like personal, co- yeah, a personal like, collection? Never. Like, it doesn't have to be cars, just like whatever it is. Like, yeah. Is there anything? That's As of right now, I mean, I'm still in such a financial deficit that everything's on the table for sale, man. <laughs> totally understand. <laughs> everything's for sale, people. You hear me? <laughs> no, I don't. I'm sure there's something in the mix, man. I'm sure there's something in the mix there that I, I would I would say no to. But there's some few things that I've bought that are just like pieces for the fam. Like I bought this nice like ivory porcelain like Winnie the Pooh figure with 24 karat gold on it for my girl. Oh, that sounds crazy. Yeah, it's, I need a picture of that. That sounds. It's ridiculous. nice. I mean, that was my baby girl actually. I should say I bought it from my baby girl. Like we're a Winnie the Pooh family. We like Winnie the Pooh a lot. And then my for my wife, she actually had a nickname Pooh growing up, and that sounds weird, I know, but no, it was like for Pooh Bear, it was short for like Pooh Bear. So I bought her like this nice like twenty four karat little, little bear mm-hmm. Disney pendant, which I got a really good deal on. That's stuff where I, you know, I mean they are collectibles, mm-hmm. but at the same time they're not mine, so I'm still cheating on that one. They're not even my own collectibles or things I bought for other people. Right. I don't know, man. What's in my collection that I wouldn't touch? You know what I won't touch, man. I have multiples of them, so I guess this is kind of cheating too because I can spare a few. But like, I have these blockbuster video game championship award packs that have mm-hmm. they get Marvel Medal in them from 1995, the inaugural edition, and they also have um, Flare, uh, Marvel Flare, and then this other pack, and I can't remember. I know we got to wrap up here, but <laughs> I really want your opinion on one thing that I forgot to ask. So. The reason I didn't understand sports cars when I was little was because there was nobody like pushing out content about it. Like you would go on YouTube and there'd just be breaks. So like there was no like education, right? For a kid that's like impatient. Yeah. It's like, how am I going to learn about something? Like I read, like I, of course I searched up like, why is this card going for this much? But it just didn't, didn't make sense. Nothing added up. So nothing was given to me like at my fingertips, like it is now with YouTube and everything. And so I feel like content just pushed it crazy. Is there anybody that like you started watching once you got into cars and that really like, you know, Educated me, yeah. helped me out. Yeah, it's funny. I, again, like, yeah, I just, like, when I got back into it in 2016, I, I just devoured as much kind of, like, stuff that I could, which I didn't, I didn't even know, dude. It's like, it's funny. I was looking, looking at Instagram the other day, and somebody showed, like, a 10 or, like, a, a break from, like, 2010 that was being, you know, broadcast on YouTube or somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dude, people were fucking recording breaks in 2010? Really? Mm-hmm. I didn't even know that. I was like, man, that's crazy. I thought breaking was just in the past couple of years, man. Mm-hmm. It came about. But see, there's, again, like, there's so many pockets of history that I'm, like, oblivious to. But I would say there wasn't a specific person that I, it was just everybody, man. I just, I just devoured everything I really could watch. It wasn't a one person that I went to and watched all their videos or read everything. But I just kind of, 
Yeah, I just kind of watched a lot, a lot of different stuff and got as many opinions as I could. I think that's the smart thing to do. Right. Get a nice wide range of uh, information out there. And there's plenty of it now, man. There's plenty of stuff to read and, and dig through. So. I think it's only going to get more with, with time. Yeah, for sure. Oh, man. The other, another quote I wanted to add. So there was somebody saying like, oh, it was, uh, I don't know if you know, there's an, a YouTuber, a uh, sports car YouTuber or whatever, uh, named Sasha. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was talking with, actually the guy from Burbank Rob yeah that like did you read that Washington Post article about him there's a there's a he got an article yeah no yeah, yeah. yeah I, I did read it so but there was so it was actually like an interview or whatever they have for their YouTube channel and yeah. so he one thing I really like that stuck with me was that like he said we're like in a weird standpoint in the card industry where the technology isn't aligned with everything right like everything like technology is like so far back right like you right. had the brakes and everything like that so now you have like all these companies rushing towards like this this opportunity that is sports cards and so like i don't know like i like i heard that and i was like wow like we're really like far from like everything that's that's coming because i'm looking at it now and i was telling my brother it's like from a sneaker perspective this looks like you know like 2017 in sneakers and it's like it's only grown like sneakers have only been adopted by so many more people and there have been so many more inventions yeah. and advancements in the industry and so sports cars are like way back as far as like technology because it's like we had this boom that came out of this pandemic that also yeah. came out of nowhere yeah. so like now we're like i don't know i'm just like it's it's cool to, to know that and hope to like you know be able to get a handle get, on it. Get, get, yeah, get some Get your hands around it. the reins and right. be able to ride the wave and, and, and you know. Yeah. yeah, so I was going to ask, like, what do you think about, like, the sports car space where it's going and... Yeah, yeah, I guess this would be kind of part of, like, what I didn't really... Because I didn't really talk too much about advice to, like, younger collectors, but again, like, uh, where I think the hobby's going. Mm-hmm. I think part of my advice would be to collect vintage. Because I think uh, there's so much modern right now. And when I say vintage, I mean old vintage. I mean, like, you know, 60s and earlier, I would go for. Because what builds value right scarcity and demand so in the hobby you know that's what's going to build any value and obviously the player matters you know nobody cares about a you know one of one jose uribe or whatever it's like you know the and the industry you know right now i don't know if this is true or not but you hear a lot of you know people that you know seem to know a lot talk about and this is a part of luber's article too Mm -hmm. about the mass production again of cards where it's like almost like a a a new junk wax era pop possibly with the amount of overproduction and he was talking about the the numbers of lucas that are like psa 10s or whatever he was like he's like there's gonna be like thirteen thousand psa and he's like so right now they're going for six to eight hundred to pop or whatever it was Mm -hmm. he's like so how can that be sustainable and how can that price hold when it costs x amount of dollars just to get a box so your return on value from that box. You I think know. it's crazy that it w- that the price even got there in the first. Place. Well, that's hype, I mean, that's, and there's all this confluence of factors too, right? It's like, yeah, it's crazy that I got there. I agree with you, but there's reasons, right? It's the pandemic, you know. It's like the hype. I, I mean, it's, it's uh, looking looking at FOMO. it. No, definitely. I, like just, but like looking at a pandemic standpoint, if you would have told me back then that like sports cars were to take off, like I don't know if I'd believe you because like. Oh, yeah. I, you would think the economy would be, you know, down the drain. Right. You'd be and like, the buy, last thing people are going to do is yeah, buy a yeah. freaking buy a piece of fucking cardboard. But like, yeah, dude. you know, I mean, I Things. love the sports cards and I hope that they keep going. But it, it just seemed crazy to me that it took off so fast. And Right. 
the, the, the decline only makes sense, but I feel like it has a promising future, in, in my opinion. And I, I like, agree with you. Yeah, I like what you said about vintage because a lot. I mean, a lot of people say that too. It's like they're not getting as much credit as they should. I I feel like too, and especially the variations. I feel like if, when it's you talk tiring. about like yeah, there's like a lot of variations. Touched, you touched yeah. that earlier. And I there's agree a lot you. of variations, but like MJ variations. Like I mean, I think that's like kind of like. Uh, I don't know. The, the, uh, it's not investment advice. I'm not saying anything about investing into freaking MJ variations, but it's like, you know, people keep on talking about second year, third years variations of this. It's like, why don't you like get the, uh, get the like, grail? The, yeah, the grail, which is like, okay, you can't get the MJ rookie, but like, there's so many MJ variations that go for pennies on, on yeah. a dollar. I, I don't know. It seems interesting to me. So I, I agree with you 100%, man. Like, the, the, the variations can be tiring, man. We, could, we even touched on sport. We talked a lot about Craigslist, but like the sports card stuff, I could talk a lot more about too, which I mean, like, the yeah, it was tiring for me when I got back into it. I was like, there's 30 freaking sets a year now, and there's like yeah. all these variations. And this and that. And before it was like, yo, I saw like three sets to worry about. It was like upper deck tops flare, mm-hmm. you know? And they're, you know, now it's, it's, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot to track and keep track of. And I don't think there is anything wrong with slimming down stuff again and kind of like, you know, paring it back a bit in regards to just, you know, the overload of product and different, like five different six. I know people want to complete the rainbow. And again, maybe that's something I don't get because I didn't grow up with that. But that whole complete the rainbow parallel thing, I'm like. Lubra actually is a big is a big guy in collecting sets. Too. Uh, oh, really? Of the, yeah. Uh, yeah. So the parallel thing, I'm like, I get it with like the, the, the numbered cards and this mm-hmm. and that. But I don't know, for me, I'm. Unless there, it's not as big of a deal for me to complete a rainbow rather than have like the best part of the rainbow. Too, I don't get, I don't get that. Like, like, like people can justify more money for having like, I, I mean, I get I mean, that. The rarity, point. I get. It. Like if an orange prism is less uh, rare than a pink, cam- whatever, because I don't even know these numbers. <laughs> but it's like there's there's pink camo, there's this, there's that. So I get it. It's it's again, it brings it back to what I was saying initially, which is scarcity and demand. So it doesn't really matter what the color is. You could call it poop stain green. If it's, exactly. If, 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 you know, if that's the if, if poop stain green only has five of them in the world, guess what? Poop stain green is gonna be the most valuable one, bro. That's the one that's everybody's gonna be chasing. Yo, you get that poop stain green? No, I didn't, man. I didn't. I got to get lucky. I bought five cases. I didn't get the poop stain green. So it's like it doesn't matter what the colors are, really. It's just people are chasing scarcity. They're they're chasing scarcity because in all those rainbow parallel colors. It goes in ascending or descending order of odds based on, you know, what you're chasing. So therefore that builds the scarcity, which therefore drives the price, you know, and which therefore, you know, is, you know, profitable and blah, blah, blah. But as far as like, yeah, demand goes, man, I mean, you demand is there's scarcity is pretty simple. It's like, is it scarce or is it not? Demand can be influenced and built by a million different things. So that's a bigger, that's a bigger conversation. But Scarcity is much easier to track and pin down. So I would say that's something you have control over. So that's why I say vintage because when everybody's looking left, look right kind of. That's what I, like in my my personal collection when I was really trying to increase my profit margin and maximize whatever money I had to reinvest, I was going for stuff that were like needles in the haystack. Like kind of like people weren't looking at like 1991 Pro Set Music Star cards, which people were like, what? Junk wax era, like gem type stuff where it's like, People don't think about it, but it's like, yo, that's got Prince and Whitney Houston's rookie card in it and Soundgarden. That sounds silly, but guess what? As tens, those go for between like, you know, three to $800, depending on what time you hit in the market. They, those numbers are correct in the past. Since the pandemic, those cards have sold all between actually three and $1,000 for a 10. Mm-hmm. It depends on where you hop in the market, but you can get a box of that for 15 bucks. You can get a box of it for 15 bucks, man, and you have a chance of pulling out a million of these cards, you know, most likely, 
and then you know you're gonna get your money say you get 110 in there okay you spend 15 bucks you get it graded for whatever it is 50 65 bucks is how much you put in you recoup what 435 of a $15 investment mm-hmm. I mean it's not the sexiest money it's not the sexiest flip but it's it's a flip and it's real and you can do that so uh, that's what I would say in regards to like that just like extrapolate that kind of mentality to like other stuff like vintage where it's like nobody's looking at vintage really I feel like right not nobody but it's not the sexiest item on the platter right now sure. everybody's looking at ultra modern right now everybody's looking at this and that numbered card and there's a bunch of beautiful old ass cards that are only only getting older only getting rarer only getting sunk to the bottom of the New York Harbor more and more and it's like <laughs> you got those available it's like and and I, I just think that and it's, 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 it's a bit of an easier thing to collect too it's I don't know and I guess I'm just romantic about old shit, man. So you see some really old card. I don't know. It's just cool to hold something in your hand. It's like, yo, with, this is from 80 years ago. Nostalgia? Yeah, For man. Sure. So, yeah, I think classifying things and, and you know, see where this market goes. I think Luber is, again, great guy for it. And that, our fanatics and Luber take this. Uh, it's going to be, yeah, man. It's, it's, it's going to be a wild ride the next couple of years to see where everything goes. Yeah. So I think that concludes... This episode, Michael, thank you for coming on here. I appreciate your time, man. I appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me. And this was the Soul Talk Podcast. Soul Talk Podcast.